Hey, good morning, Victory Church. How you doing? Good morning, good morning. My name is Troy. My wife, Darla, and I get the absolute privilege to pastor Victory Church. And if you're visiting with us, uh, I want to say welcome. Uh, as Zoe said, we want to encourage you to fill out those connection cards and turn them in so that we can connect with you and do our best to be able to connect you with like-minded people that are, whether it be small groups or dream teams, just opportunity for you to build friendship, relationship, uh, and do church together. Don't you believe church is more than just Sunday mornings? Come on. You believe it, right? It's happening all throughout the week. Uh, one of the things that we're trying out new, I want to encourage you, if you are visiting or if you have been visiting or, or been coming over the past probably three months or so since the beginning of the year, we are going to try out kind of a, what we're calling a meet and greet dinner. And so May 15th, I believe is the date, it's the Monday after Mother's Day, uh, 16th, thank you, uh, is Monday after, or Tuesday after Mother's Day, thank you, Miss Erica. See, I told y'all, she runs the church, okay? Uh, the Tuesday after uh, Mother's Day, we're going to gather here, Darla and I will be here, some of our leadership team, we're going to have dinner provided and just be able to connect. We want to talk a little bit more about like where the church has come from, what it's doing now, where we believe it's going, our passion for Antioch, Laverne, Smyrna, and just some of the vision. Realize we don't really get to do that as much because we're, we're running and gunning so much here, trying to do so much, and we just want to be able to have time with you where we can sit and ask questions, answer questions. And so, again, if you're visiting today, or you've been visiting over the past three, two or three months or so, uh, we encourage you, you can, you can get more information about it. If you'll fill out one of those connection cards, we're going to send you a personal invitation uh, and, and try to find out how many you're bringing so we can be ready food-wise, all that. Cool? You excited? All right, join us. Hey, if you got your Bibles, turn to the book of John chapter 5. I'm going to start with a different verse, but turn to John chapter 5 and just kind of put your finger there if you've got a paper Bible. If you're following on the screen or our app, which has all the sermon notes, you can just kind of go as we go. Um, but we, we're beginning a, we began a new series last Sunday called Following Jesus, and we were talking about just what it looks like practically in our culture today to do that, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so last week we said the very first thing that we have to understand that the foundation of us being a Jesus follower is to spend time with God. It, it's that simple. But it's also complex. And so we talked last week about how to do that through prayer and through worship. And today we're going to talk about the Bible and the importance that that Bible plays in that role of, of spending time with Jesus, relationship with Jesus. But I'm also hoping to kind of take away some stigma today of the Bible and help us be a little bit more excited about it. So we're going to start reading in Psalm 119, uh, the, the longest psalm, and it's about the Bible. Everybody say, the longest uh, uh, book in the Bible is about the Bible, right? Isn't that exciting? You guys excited? All right, I think... You're excited. Uh, Psalm 119, we're going to start reading verse 97. It's King David writing, and he's talking about the Bible. So when you see him say law, he means the Bible, the scriptures. He says, oh, how I love your law. Oh, how I love your words. It is what I think about all through the day. All through the day, I'm thinking about the Bible. Your word makes me wiser than those who hate me, for it's always with me. I have better understanding than all of my teachers because I think about your law, your word. I have better understanding than those who are old because I obey your word. I have kept my feet from every sinful way so that I may keep your word. I have not turned away from your law for you yourself have taught me. But here's where it gets interesting. Watch this. How sweet is your word to my taste? It is sweeter than honey to my taste mouth. He goes on to say, I get understanding from your law, and so I hate every false way. Now, I don't know about you, but that was different to hear somebody refer to the Bible as something that's sweeter than honey. I just think that's unique. That's interesting. 
I don't know how you were raised, but I remember as I was coming up and learning and hearing about the Bible, often what I was taught about the Bible wasn't sweet, right? I remember, I don't know if you remember this, where the, the title of the sermon today is the B-I-B-L-E. That, that's the title of the message. And people used to say it like this. They say it was basic instruction before leaving earth. Y'all ever heard that before? Basic instruction. In other words, here's how you should behave on life, in life before you die so that you don't go to hell. That's basically what uh, I thought the Bible was, and I don't know about you. It doesn't make me excited about it. it. certainly doesn't make me refer to it as honey and how it's sweet to my mouth. Um, I remember there used to be a song about the Bible. Let me see how many of you remember this. It goes like this. It goes, the B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God. It's the B-I-B-L-E. Woo! <laughs> right? That makes you want to read the Bible, doesn't it? Right? I mean, nobody's like, oh, this is going to be awesome. Like, you know, no, not going to happen. It's interesting, though, how we get these stigmas and these ideas of what the Bible is going to be. But listen to me. The Bible is unlike any other book that we will ever see or we will ever handle. I encourage you to read books, but when we read the Bible, we are reading the actual words of God. When we read the Bible, and sometimes if we're not careful, we just kind of overlook things like this, but every word in here was something either God said or the Holy Spirit moved through a person and had them write it down. Everything we read is the actual words of God. So yes, we could read books and books are great, but there's no book like the Bible. In this book are words, words that's been given by God, watch this, that were relevant the time that they happened, relevant in the moment that it was written, but also relevant for us today. And that's really the mind-blowing aspect, that, that something that could be relevant to a King David or relevant to Nebuchadnezzar or relevant to Joseph or, or, or Andrew or Peter or Sarah or whoever, that words that were relevant to them years and years and years ago are still relevant, watch this, for your marriage. Still relevant for your relationship with God, for your hope, for your mercy, for your grace, for your kids, for your finances. Still relevant. We don't just read the Bible for information. We read it for transformation. Barna recently did a research on the Bible. The whole research was 30-something pages on the Bible and the influence of it, the impact of it, the, the state of it uh, in our culture now in 2023. And one of the most interesting, two of the most interesting researches to me, one was the idea that anybody who engages in the Bible on a daily basis said that their life was both more happier and more hope-filled. Think about that. Anybody in here want a happier life? Anybody here want a happier life? All right? Anybody in here want a life filled with more hope? All right, we're going to try this again because we don't need a, I mean, Apparently, y'all are just happy and filled with hope is what's happening here. I don't know about you. I want to be happier. I want to have more hope, right? And according to the research, when we engage in the Bible daily, that's what happens. We get happier. We get filled with more hope. Watch this, though. The same research said that uh, recently the, the activity or the frequency or the amount of people that are engaging in the Bible is actually going down. Watch this. I got a chart, 2011 to 2023, and you can see how these are people that are engaging in the Bible daily, and you can see how it's kind of staying, maintaining, maintaining, and then look, 2022, 2023, look at the drop. Isn't that crazy? 
that we have research that proves that by engaging in the Bible on a daily basis, we are happier, we are more hope-filled, yet at the same time, the amount of people who are engaging in the Bible daily is going down. And I couldn't help but wonder if it's possible that maybe we just don't quite understand the Bible. Maybe that at some point it was miscommunicated to us, the purpose of it and the heart of it, and it's why people are losing interest in it. I think it's important to say this. God doesn't love us anymore when we read the Bible, and he doesn't love us any less when we don't. It's important to understand that, because if not careful, we've been taught that when we read the Bible, God loves us. If we don't read it now, God's mad at us. It's not the case. He doesn't love us anymore when we're reading Scripture than he loved us if we're not reading Scripture. He loves us. That's it. But we don't read the Bible because we have to. We read it because we get to. We read it because it impacts us and it influences us and it makes us better and it makes life better. We read it knowing that it's God's word to us and God's heart for us. When you read those scriptures, it's not just rules and regulations. It's God's actual words to you. When he wants to speak to you, he's speaking through his scripture. He might have said it thousands of years ago, but he's still making it relevant today. He can move it and shift it and change it to where it's exactly what you needed to hear today. It's God's word to you. But even better than that, every verse in it is God's heart for you. And as you read scripture more and more, the more you start to see God's heart. Jesus actually said it like this. He said, any word that I say or action that I'm doing is literally how the Father speaks to you, how the Father sees you, how the Father would receive and act towards you. You're seeing it in scripture. Now, when those who were, um, those who were, who were they did a poll on those who were disengaged from the Bible, they were asking them the reasons, right? Like, why, why are you disengaged from the Bible? And they kind of came up with four or five answers. Um, so, so here was one of the answers people gave. They said, I don't know where to start, which is a, which is a legitimate reason, right? I, I want to read it, but I don't know where to start reading it. I would tell you as your pastor, start reading it in John chapter 1, verse 1. Just start right in John, because here's why. John is about Jesus, Jesus being on earth, so you can kind of follow him through it. So start reading that. I think it's important for you. Jesus is speaking and doing. You can see the character of Jesus. Another thing that people said is they said the layout is confusing. I don't really understand the layout, which I could give you, you know, ideas and concepts of what it means. I could show you that it's, you know, it's the law. It's the first five books of the law. Uh, it's the prophets. It's the poet, poetry books. It's the gospels. It's the epistles. It's the book of Revelation. But, but you could go on Google and within seconds, you could Google kind of the layout of, of what the scripture is, right? You could lay it out and be able to see it. So it's, that can't be the reason you don't read it. Another thing that people say is they say the language is hard to relate to which I don't know if this is a debate for you, but a lot of people will debate on, on what version to read, right? There's so many versions out there, and so people trying to kind of have their favorite versions. I'm just telling you, I read the NIV. I often preach from the NIV, but I would encourage you to read the version that you'll read, yeah. right? Whatever version it is that you'll actually read, read that. And then the more that you grow in it, the more you can start to understand it better and so on. But here was the number one question, or number one reason, sorry, the number one reason that people weren't reading their Bible. Look at this because there was a lack of excitement about reading it. And that's legitimate, right? Like you can't get mad at somebody because they don't want to do something because there's not excitement. The reason you watch the TV shows you watch is because you're legitimately excited about watching it. And so not only are you going to watch it, people can't stop you from watching it 
The things that you do, the sports that you play, the hobbies that you have, you're legitimately excited about it. And this research is saying the reason that people aren't reading their Bible is because they're not excited about it. And I thought, we got to change that, yeah. right? We got to do something to be able to change that. So before we can get to why you should be excited about the Bible, let's back up a little bit and let's just talk about what the Bible is really about. Because again, if you're like me, I kind of got saved and thrown into church, and I loved the idea of church, so I was there every Sunday, but the preaching just started, right? He just came into a book and came into a concept, and I never really understood it all, so I was just kind of along for the ride. But let's back up a little bit and let's explain it. Right off the bat, first of all, you need to understand that the Bible consists of 66 books. 66 books. So the Bible is less of a book and more of a library. It's a library of 66 books in here, Genesis, all the way to Revelation. Uh, now, these 66 books, you need to understand, are not in chronological order, okay? Um, for example, if, if, if David was writing Psalm 119, he might have been writing it sometime in 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. So while you're reading 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, it's not that so many years later he's writing the psalm. It's happening simultaneously because some of the books kind of happen during other books, now, if at the end of the service, I'll give you a QR code. Those that scanned it last week and said they wanted to start a Bible reading plan, I sent you Bible reading plans, and one of them was a chronological Bible reading plan that tells you how to read it in chronological order, if that's something you're interested in. But you need to know that it doesn't go in order. Genesis is your first book, Revelation is your last, and it goes that way. That's not the situation. It's not chronologically laid out. That's important for you to know. You need to also know that there are 40-plus authors that have written into these 66 books, and they're from all different backgrounds, all different occupations. You've got uh, slaves, you've got kings, you've got doctors, you've got fishermen, you've got people from all different um, you know, areas of life that are putting in this information. You say, well, Troy, why does that matter? Why do I care how many authors of it? Here's why you should care, because most religious beliefs are being completely written 100% by one person. And people are following it, going, we believe that, but it's one person. Nobody argued it. Nobody debated it. It was one person and what they believe. But we, in our Bible, had 40-plus people write about something, and it all was unified, showing us that it, there must be some legitimacy to it. You need to know it was written over 1,500 years of just different information. You need to know it was three continents. It was written in three languages, Aramaic, Hebrew, some Greek. You need to know all of this because even with all of that information, you ready? Here's what matters. With all of that information, the Bible centers around one unified subject. This Bible, 66 books, 1,500 plus years, 40 plus authors, three continents, three languages. This book all centers around the whole purpose of this book is one subject. It didn't matter. It didn't matter that it was more than one author. It didn't matter that it was more than one language. It didn't matter that it didn't happen all in the same year, yet it still is unified around one subject. Well, what's the subject? Is the subject rules? No. Don't think you're going to get excited about that one. Is it law? No. I'm going to really blow your mind. Ready? It's not even you. Because sometimes we think the Bible is about us, right? This whole thing, God made this whole thing to, to get us right, to straighten up. Subject must be me. No, the subject, I'm going to show you, but we got to go to Scripture. This is where John chapter 5 comes in, all right? 
Throughout this series, there are going to be certain verses. I'm going to tell you, underline it, circle it, you know, carve it into your stone of your heart because these are important verses as you move on and start to follow Jesus. Watch what Jesus says in John chapter 5, verse 39. He's talking to the religious people of the day. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that they're going to give you eternal life. Here's what Jesus meant when he said it. There were people in that day who were trying to find scriptures to support the way they were living. Good thing it doesn't happen anymore, right? And so they're searching the scriptures and they're just trying to find reasons to be able to say, we can do what we're doing because the Bible says so. So Jesus steps in and he goes, you're searching the scriptures to be able to find your own eternal life. He said, here's the problem with that. You ready? The scriptures point to me. He says everything in your Bible points to Jesus. He goes on later to say, if you really believed Moses, you'd believe me because Moses wrote about me. Jesus is saying that the subject of the Bible is him. Isn't that awesome? That 40 plus authors in 66 different books, 1,500 years in three continents and three different languages, the whole subject is Jesus. Contrary to popular belief, your Bible is not simply a collection of ethical principles. It's not a collection of platitudes or life lessons, your Bible is about Jesus. Did any of you have one of those grandmas, you know, just old-fashioned, God-loving, they, they had the plastic over the couch, you know what I'm talking about? Like, they, like you, you, could, you could cut your body open and bleed, but you better not get dirt on that couch. You know, and she was religious, you touch the couch, you're going to meet Jesus. Like, that's just how it is. I mean, the couch was so ugly, it was, you know, it should have been, it was already in a body bag. We should have just propped it up and moved it. It was just so nasty. And beside this ugly couch was a little table. And on the little table was the Holy Bible. Remember this? And you better not set anything on that Holy Bible. Don't you do it. And if we're not careful, we think that grandma's obsession is with this book of rules and life lessons and mama or grandmama why can't I set my cup on a book that just tells me how bad of a person I am might accidentally you know I'm gonna do that your grandma didn't love that book because it was rules and regulations she loved it because it was a book about Jesus she loved it because the entire thing pointed to her savior to hope watch this to your Savior. That's what the Bible is about. And if we ever hope to properly handle the stories that are in the Bible, we must first grasp the story of the Bible. And that story, this is the kind of stuff that can mess with your theology. That story, though recorded for you, is not finally about you. This Bible that is recorded for us to impact us is not about us. The focus is far higher than us. And here's my favorite part. The hero is far better than us. Now, I'm not a reader. I've never been much of a reader. Uh, through my entire high school career, I read one book. It was a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle book. And thank you. Um, go Raphael, hashtag. And... and I finished that book by the time I graduated. Can we get an amen? Like, I just, I mean, it was impressive. I read like one page every year 
whew, and it was exhausting. And, and so when I graduated, again, I just wasn't a reader. Luckily, my high school, you didn't have to read to graduate. You know, it just happens. And so it didn't matter. Uh, so then I get saved, and I, I have this, you know, minimal interest in the Bible. I'm learning it, so I start to read it. Uh, and then once I felt called to ministry, I, I started wanting to read Christian living books and leadership books. And so in my life right now, 38 years old, I have a library of books. But if it's not the Bible, if it's not a Christian living or leadership book or my faithful Ninja Turtle book, I don't read it. I, I don't read it. I'm not against it. But like your Harry Potters, your Lord of the Rings, your you know, all the people, I, I'm against it. Not, not because it's spiritual or anything like that. I just don't read, Okay. So just show me the movie, and I guarantee, guarantee you the movie's better than the book, all right? Here's how I know. The movie co cost me two hours. The book cost you 20 years, all right? I ain't got time for that. I'm just not going to read it, all right? Don't, don't lead a church. I'm sorry. The book was better. I just don't read. I just don't read. But right now, I have one book. There, there is one book I have that is not my Ninja Turtle book. It's not a Christian living book. And it's not a leadership book, nor is it my Bible. It is a book that I got for Christmas. Now, I know what you're thinking. Why would anybody get somebody a book for Christmas? I would ask you the same question. But this book was special, and I've already read it. And here's what it is. You ready? It's an autobiography of Will Smith. It's called Will. And it's amazing. I, I love Will Smith, okay? I lo I've loved him since I was young. Look, if you're mad because he laid the smack down on Chris Rock, I'm not involved in any of that. That's got nothing to do with me. All right, you talk to him and Jada about that. I don't care about that. I just love him and his movies. I just love his movies. So when somebody got me a book for Christmas about his life, I was reading it so fast. I was so excited. But why was I excited about the book? Because of who it was about. You see my point? The reason you and I should be excited about the Bible is because who it's about. It's not about what we should or shouldn't do. It's about what he did. And when we read about what he did, it impacts who we are. And so I'm excited to read it, not because of the these and the thous and the should do's and the should don'ts. I'm excited to read it because it's about Jesus. It's Jesus. He's my savior. He's my hope. He's my shelter. He's my keeper. He's my protector. He's my provider. Hey, if we're going to be excited about it in here, we got to be excited about it here. It matters. It's, it's him. He is this book. Now, if y'all mad because I slammed it, I'm sorry. Get excited about it. I know you're like, man, he's putting on a show. I'm not. I'm the guy that once cried over a Jesus stuffed animal. If you were here that Sunday, you saw it. It's just because I love him. And so when you tell me it's a book about him, I want to read it. Not so that I can be a better person. Are we kidding me? But so that I can read about him. And I think by reading about him and him getting in me, it will make me a better person. But I'm not reading it as a self-fix. There's enough how to be holy for dummies. You know what I mean? I want to read about Jesus. If our excitement is eluding us when we read our Bible, then maybe, just maybe, before we read it, we need to stop and we need to set our mind on the idea that we are about to read to find out more about God. That's what it's going to be about. All 66 books in this Bible are about our good and gracious God. 
Numbers? Yes. Genesis, when we sinned? Yes. Revelation, when we're all going to like die? <laughs> yes. Every book's about Jesus. I'll prove it to you. Well, you can break it down like this. The Old Testament, the entire Old Testament can be categorized as the anticipation of Jesus Christ. In other words, when you read through the Old Testament, you will see moments of there is one coming. There is someone coming. You, you set up a king. The king has fallen. You've set up rules. You've broken the rules. We're in this crazy cycle, but don't worry. One is coming. One is coming. You will see moments throughout Old Testament of the idea of the anticipation of Jesus Christ. So that's the Old Testament. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It is the manifestation of Jesus Christ. Guess what? He's here. He's here. The Old Testament was he's coming. The Gospels say he's here. And then Acts, which is the idea of the movement of the church once Christ has uh, uh, ascended back into heaven, that was the proclamation or the propagation of Jesus Christ. In other words, go tell everyone about him. He was coming. He did come. Now go tell everybody what he did, that he died for our sins. The epistles, they're the explanation of Jesus Christ. Here's how to walk and talk and act like Jesus. And then Revelation is the consummation. It is finished. He will come back again. It's, so whether you're in the Old Testament, Genesis, all the way to the New Testament, Revelation, you will see Jesus throughout it. We're either saying he is coming. We're either saying he's here. We're either saying tell him what he did. We're either saying walk like he walked. Or guess what? He's coming back. Whether it's the beginning or the end, the main subject is Jesus. Jesus. That's got to make us excited about reading our Bible. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm reading a book in the Old Testament. Why? Are you trying to figure out the law? No, I want to see where they said Jesus is coming. You know what I mean? I want to see where he came. I want to see what he did. I want to see how it changed the world. And I want to see when he says he's coming back. Because I want to be ready. It's like the kid, he went up to his dad. His dad's a farmer and he goes up to his dad and he says, Dad, I want to I understand the Bible. And his dad said, okay. And he pointed to this dirty old basket that was kind of laying in the corner of his shed. And he said, go get that basket, walk down to the lake, fill it up with water, and then bring it back to me. And his son said, Dad, how's that going to teach me anything about the Bible? He said, just do what I said. So he gets the basket, he walks down the lake, he fills it up with water. As he's walking back, there, you know, there's, it's a weaved basket, there's holes in it. The water is just leaking out the whole time. And he gets to his dad, and he has basically no water in the basket. And he's like, Dad, I think what I just did was pointless. And his dad listen, he goes, you need water. Go back and put water in the basket. He's like, but Dad, it's going to leak. He said, what I tell you? Go put water in the basket. So he goes back to the water, fills up the basket full of water, walks it back over to his dad. As he's walking, the water's coming out. He gets to his dad. The basket is empty. He says, Dad, the basket is empty. Dad says, go back, fill it back with water. He goes back. He does it like five or six times. And finally, he stops. He says, Dad, I'm not doing this anymore. What is this teaching me about the Bible? He said, well, look at the basket. What do you see about the basket? He said, I don't see anything about the basket. It's empty because as I walk from the water to here, I lost it. I don't understand. He said, exactly. The point of the Bible is not to understand it. It's to cleanse you because he said, look at the basket. It's clean. It was dirty when you started. But you kept getting that living water, and it's coming through, and it's cleansing. Listen to me. Some of you, if we're not careful, we've been taught that we have to understand the Bible. And I do believe that as you study it, you will begin to understand it. But don't make that your goal. Let the goal be just to learn about Jesus. 
And as you're reading about Jesus, it will just begin to cleanse you. Listen to this. I, love this. I think this is a phenomenal statement. Watch this. Above all, this right here, this Bible is a story of rescue. That's what your Bible is. It's a rescue story. It's God becoming man to bring man back to God. Though each one of us deserves separation from God forever because of our sin. Jesus went to the cross in the place of sinners to pay our penalty. I love this. Jesus loves to forgive. That's why he came. And he loves to make new. That's why he's coming again. Listen to me. The Bible, the Biblia, the B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. Stand on this book. Why? Because it's a book of hope. It's a book of redemption, restoration, reconciliation, salvation. It's the greatest love story you'll ever read. You know, there's kind of a misunderstanding that men don't like those kind of rom-com, savior, damsel in distress movie. We're all lying. You know what I mean? Try to act hard. You walk by the living room. Your wife's watching this. Going, you watching that mess again? Wait a minute. Did he save her? Yeah. Oh. Because you care. Because it's the way you were designed. You were designed to care about that concept because you are a part of the greatest love story and the greatest rescue story of all time. And that's what the Bible is about. The Bible is about your Savior. It's a book of hope. That's why you should be excited about it. Can I show you something real quick just to break down something kind of cool to get, make you even more excited about when you read it? So here's the interesting thing about the Bible. When you take the Old Testament over here and the New Testament and the ongoing, so in case you don't know, we're still part of the Bible. Like, like the Bible continues with us. We are still the local church, God's children, people who are being saved. So, so when I say New Testament, take New Testament and our lives and our future up until the, the coming back of Christ. So you got the Old Testament, the New Testament. They're actually mirror imaged. All right, so let me show you what I mean. If you break down the Old Testament, here's kind of how it goes. It starts off with God and his righteous people in paradise, right? Adam and Eve walking with God. So righteous people, they're made righteous. They can be around God. They are righteous like God. So the Bible start, starts with them. And then Satan and sin enter. Y'all understand? Y'all remember this moment when Satan has Eve take a bite of the fruit? So, so Satan and sin enter. And anytime Satan and sin enter, you will have separation from God and you will have destruction. So you have God and his righteous people in paradise. Satan and sin enter. Watch this. Now the world is judged and destroyed. Then we try to create a, a, a one-world government system, Tower of Babel. It's, it's us trying to be our own God, which is normally what happens when we feel like we can't do it. We can't follow God's rule. We feel like we make ourselves our own God. And then God says we can't have that. So he puts into motion a plan, 12 tribes of Israel, God's holy people. But he gives them an actual law. And the problem with the law is it's an outward expression. There's nothing happening on the inside. 
And so it doesn't work. The Bible actually says it did not work. But that, that, that would be your, your Old Testament. God and righteous people in paradise. Satan and sin enter. Judgment and destruction. Uh, trying to be our own God. God coming in and setting up a system. But it's not working. So in comes Jesus Christ. Now watch this. Jesus comes in and puts together 12 disciples, which will then become the local church, God's holy people. As we're moving on doing God's work, you're going to watch the world try to create a one-world government system. I think we're already in this process. As because of that, the world will then be judged and destroyed. But watch this. Here's where it starts to get different. Then Satan and sin will exit. Remember the Old Testament, they entered. Now they'll exit. And then watch the end. And then God and his redeemed people will be in paradise. Did you see that? It started off, it was God and his righteous people in paradise. But sin entered. Satan entered. Destruction. Us trying to be our own God. God putting in a system. The system doesn't work. So he sends a savior. He sends Jesus, the one who was prophesied all the way back in the beginning of the Bible. He sins so that he can save. And the world still tries to create a one world government. And there's still destruction. But now Satan and sin got to flee. And because of Jesus, we're together again with God. But we are redeemed by Jesus. Redeemed in paradise. Do you know what the Greek word for paradise is? Resort. We get to be in a resort with God, reconciled because of Jesus. That is the story of the Bible. It's not rules and it's not regulations. Now there is a path for living that will bless you. And the more you fall in love with Jesus, the more you'll want to follow that pattern. But if you've been trying to get excited about reading the Bible, thinking that if you'll just take it, rub it on me, I'll be clean, you're not going to be excited about it. But if you realize the one who loves you, the one who died for you, the one that is your hope and your help and your restoration, he is the resurrection, your Lord, your Savior, when you realize that the entire book is about him, I can get excited about that. I'm going to pray for you in a minute, but I want to encourage you with kind of a next step. During this series, we're doing something we haven't done before, but it's been going very well. We may continue to do it, and that is to really put right in front of your face the next step. I want this series to be so practical for you because what good is church if you walk out and you don't know how to follow Jesus? And so there's going to be a QR code that comes on the screen. And if you'll scan that, here's what's going to happen. It's going to send you five options. The first one is to decide to follow Jesus, to give your heart to Christ if you've never been saved before. Second is if you've saved, you've never been baptized, to be baptized in water. We're going to have a baptism Sunday in a couple of weeks. I'm going to teach on it as well. It's going to be great. Another step is for you to start a reading plan. I sent out so many reading plans this week to people who scanned it last Sunday. I sent the chronological reading. I sent a regular following Jesus reading. They can start reading their Bible. 
Next after that is an opportunity for you to join a small group, a one-on-one discipleship. We were linking people up this week with mentors for one-on-one discipleship. So cool. And then there's an opportunity for you to join a dream team, go through Growth Track, find your, your, your family, your tribe to be able to do life together with. It's important for all of us to take a next step. I believe every one of us, there's a point of a step we can go by. You would say, well, Troy, I've, I've done all five of those. Then what? Then you need to start discipling somebody. There's always a next step. And the more steps we take, the more we get to know the character of Jesus and the more we fall in love with Jesus. And the Bible says that we love him because he first loved us. And the more we understand about Jesus and the more we understand how much he loves us, the more we love him and the more we start to see life change in our life. So I challenge you. Do me a favor. Everybody stand in this place. Worship team, I'm going to invite you up. Prayer team, I'm going to invite you down. I want to challenge every one of you. What's the next step for your life? If you've never accepted Jesus, you should accept Christ. If you've never been baptized in water, you should be baptized in water. If you've done both of those, then you should be in a small group. Start a reading plan. Join a dream team. Start to be around other believers. Start to build that relationship with Christ. Amen? I just, again, I want it so bad. I want it so bad to be able to erase some of the stigmas of this book. Kind of help us get excited about it. And to know that every place I look at in here, I find Jesus. If I'm in Genesis, there's Jesus. If I'm in Exodus, there's Jesus. If I'm in Numbers, there's Jesus. If I'm in the Gospels, it's Jesus. If I'm in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, 1, 2, 3 John, guess what? There's Jesus. If I'm in Revelation, there's Jesus. Y'all remember growing up? Remember the Where's Waldo book? Y'all remember those? Y'all ever buy those books? I was cheap, so what I would do is I would go to the store and I would find him and all of them and then just put them back, put the book back, you know what I mean? Because I had completed it. I didn't need it no more. You get this book and you're trying to find him. Listen to me. What if that became our heart for the Bible? Where's Jesus? I'm looking. Where's Jesus? Every aspect. John 3, 16, there's Jesus. Genesis 1, 1, there's Jesus. John 1, 1, there's Jesus. Where is Jesus? That's my challenge for you today. Be hungry and excited about your Bible. If you don't have one, we'll give you one. Be excited about it. I love it on your phone. Get you a paper one. Why? Because you can write in it. You can take notes like, Troy, you can write on a phone. You know what I mean. Get excited about it. Start to ask yourself, where is Jesus in every aspect of it? I want to pray for you. I want to pray for an excitement and a hunger for the Word of God. I want to encourage you with this. If you're in this place and you need prayer for anything, if you decided you wanted to start following Jesus, you want to talk to somebody about it, our prayer team is willing to do that. If you need prayer about anything, finances, relationship, hardship, we want to pray with you. There's nothing more encouraging than praying with somebody. So in a minute, I'm going to pray over us in this hunger for the word. And then when I say amen, we'll worship for a little bit. Our prayer team's available for you to pray. 
But would you do me a favor? Would you close your eyes for a second? I want to pray over you this fresh excitement and hunger for the Word of God. That when you wake up, Paul or, or King David said, when I wake up in the morning, I think about it. It's sweet. It's sweet to my mouth like honey. Father, we pray right now. Help us to understand that the Bible, the Holy Biblia, is a book. It's an autobiography about Jesus. It's either the consummation, the proclamation, the anticipation, the manifestation. God, give us excitement and hunger right now. For every person in this room that has struggled with reading your word, I pray that something would shift today. They'd be so excited about reading about you. They couldn't wait to show up in the morning and find where's Jesus. For the person who's been reading it for years and it's just kind of become routine and maybe lost the mystery and the hunger for it. Father, I pray for a fresh, fresh hunger. Right now over us and over our church, your word, Father. Let us learn about you. That my fear will never conquer me. Because I belong to Jesus. 